Hey, New Life, welcome back to another week of our sermon. We're super excited you guys are listening with us on this podcast. And so if you don't know, New Life's mission is to develop an authentic community that inspires people to know and follow Jesus through worship, community, mission, and generosity. And so you can stay up to date with what we have going on 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 Instagram and Facebook. You can also find our YouTube channel. You can like and subscribe to stay up to date with videos and those things we put out online. And so this week, here is the most recent sermon. Good morning. It's great to see everyone here this morning and happy 2023. Uh, how's your year going so far? I hope it's, I hope it's been a good year so far um, and I hope it's going to continue to get better. So we are in our second week of a spiritual wellness series. Last week, we talked about the mystery of the gospel, the fact that God took on flesh, Jesus came to earth and lived a perfect life and took our sins on himself and his body was broken and his blood was shed so that we could have peace with God. We could have forgiveness of sins. Next week, Pastor Jeff is going to be taking us through a sermon on Sabbath rest, asking the question, how am I recreating? And today, we're going to talk about confession as a part of our spiritual wellness. And really, how am I recalibrating? So, uh, if you haven't noticed, this is a big emphasis for our church this year, spiritual wellness. Talked about last week that living things grow. And as we look at ourselves, I mean, there is the potential for us to get off track and to really struggle in our lives. And as church leaders, we are here for that. If, if you make some massive mistakes and, and mess stuff up big time, we're here for it. But is it possible that we could help earlier in the process, similar to going in for an annual physical and finding out, hey, what are some things that God's calling me to, to shift and change and move closer to him this year? We want to help you with that. And so we are wanting to meet with everybody once this year. We have kind of divided it out between months. And so if you haven't received an email about that, just shoot one to us at info at newlifekc.org. Just an introductory email explaining it. Uh, making sure you know that this is all uh, up to you. It's not like we're going to be coming with a clipboard and looking over our glasses, as I said at last Last week. This is for you. So if, if you're wondering about, you know, anything from our favorite sports team uh, to our favorite movie to something a little more significant, like how to confess sins or or how to pray or how to spend time with the Lord, we want to help you. And, and so we want to commit to being shoulder to shoulder with you in this in spiritual wellness. Um, and so I hope that each of us gets a chance to participate in that. So we, as I said, are in a second week of a sermon series. Today it's on confession. And as a bit of an opener, I wanted to kind of go back to our trip last week. So we came back from New Orleans and we got in on a Friday early evening and uh, unpacked, put all of our stuff away, hung out for a while, and then it was time to go to bed. I brought the boys up. All three boys are in the same room and they have bunk beds. And uh, one of our boys is in a top bunk bed. And as he was getting up to go up there, it was soaked. And then we looked up and the ceiling was leaking and it's on the second floor. And, you know, that's just never a good thing if you're wondering. And uh, I was pretty sure what it was because uh, we have a heat pump up there. And a few years ago, it had done the exact same thing. And so I figured that this was the situation. However, 
I went up there this time and something new had happened. I thought it was the old thing and actually it had gotten so cold that the water had frozen in the drain pipe and cracked it. I don't know if you guys had any cracked pipes or not this year, uh, but we did. And, uh, and so what I decided to do since it was late at night was not deal with it. So I pulled our Nest thermostat off or I turned it off and, uh, and decided to work on it the next day and fix the drain and all that. And so um, once I woke up the next day, I went to turn on the thermostat and it was dead. Not sure why, but it was dead. So I brought it downstairs, plugged it in, and I put it back up. When I put it back up, it has, it's a Nest Smart thermostat. It's way smarter than I am. And it recalibrates, like for a while. And this one recalibrated, and then it said, call a technician. <laughs> so uh, um, it read my face and was like, this guy has no clue what's going on right now. <laughs> Probably did. And... Um, so we, we did this for a day, called the technician. It took him an extra day to get out. I've charged it again, stuck it up there, called a technician. The morning he came out, the night before, it was freezing up there. The kids were like, can we fix this thing? I was like, I'm trying. Plugged it in, brought it up there. All of a sudden, this thing worked. It recalibrated and it worked on its own. He did come out and fix a few things. However, I want to talk about recalibration in terms of our spiritual lives and confession and what this means. Because confession, in a sense of sin, is a way to recalibrate. And there might be times in our lives when it's like we pray and confess, and it's like, call a technician in our lives. Uh, but there might be some times when it's like, yeah, this is exactly what God had for me. So here's where we're headed in the sermon this morning. So we're going to talk about sin, because we need to know what to confess and so we're going to spend some time defining sin and what it is and why it's important. Then we're going to talk about what I, what I find confusing sometimes is the fact that I've been forgiven of my sin, past, present, and future, by the blood of Jesus. And if that's so, what does that mean and why do I have to confess sin? So we're going to talk about that and the difference and how confession then finally affects me in my life. And so that's where we're headed in the sermon this morning. We're going to look at 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9 and, um, and really talk about this, this brokenness and how it affects our family relationships, our friend relationships, how it affects our personal priorities sometimes and how it affects our spiritual disciplines. And so... Um, Last week, as we were driving back, before we got to the wet, we ran into a massive storm. I mean, this is a gusher. You guys know these ones where people start pulling off, and it's like you're going as fast as you can on the windshield wipers, and you're just barely seeing a glimpse of good, and then it goes again like that? Well, I think confession is a little bit like a windshield wiper for our soul. If we fail to understand and practice confession, our path can become blurred with unconfessed sin and everything that comes with it, such as shame and guilt and fear. And this puts us at risk for further damage. If I were to drive down with no windshield wipers at all, I would probably run off the road. In fact, I know I would. I would not be able to see where I'm going. So this is where we're headed in the sermon. We're going to be talking about confession and how this helps in our spiritual wellness. So 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. 
from all unrighteousness. The big idea this morning is when we confess our sins, we recalibrate our lives for spiritual wellness. I want to read what J.I. Packer said about prayer, and the application is for our confession. He says, we must learn to measure ourselves, not by our knowledge about God, not by our gifts and responsibilities in the church, but by how we pray and what goes on in our hearts. Many of us, he said, I suspect, have no idea how impoverished we are at this level. Let us ask the Lord to show us. And confession is such a gracious offering that God gives to us to look internally and see where we failed and find forgiveness. So the first thought I have is we must confess our sins and never cover them. The verse says, if we confess our sins. What, what does the writer mean, David the writer, or uh, John the writer mean by sins? Think of this in terms of driving through the storm. Now, we know rain is not a sin, but similar to rain, sin can change our perspective and put us in danger. Think of it in terms of a relationship. Think of it in terms of our priorities and inspiration for life and our vision. If we have unconfessed sin, our perspective gets very dark very quickly. So what are these things that put us in danger? David writes about sin in Psalm 32. People don't know whether this was before or after Psalm 51, which is kind of a famous psalm of his, after he was found to be in sin with Bathsheba. He wrote Psalm 51. Psalm 32, some people think it was maybe later in life because there's such maturity in this psalm. So Psalm 32, the first couple of verses, he defines the sin. And we want to walk through this to see, for us to look in the mirror a little bit and say, oh yeah, like I sin regularly, like every day, like all the time. And I, I need to, to understand what this means. So he said, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered, Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. He really gives us four different words for sin. And I want to dig into each of them just a little bit. The first word is the word transgression. This means a violation of trust. It's betrayal in a relationship. In the Old Testament, it would be two nations that had a treaty and then one of the nations broke it. This is the word to describe that. Isaiah speaks to this word. He says in chapter 1 and verse 2, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled. He uses were rebelled against me. So it's interesting, in the Old Testament, there was a couple of different words. And so uh, if somebody in the, in the Old Testament were to break into a home, and to steal something. This person would be called a robber, and that would be called a robbery. However, if this person was not a stranger, if this person was a neighbor or somebody they knew and were to come in and steal something, this would be called a transgression because it's betraying the trust. Think about this in terms of our lives. We might think, oh, we've probably had our trust betrayed at one time or another. 
but consider your relationship with God. How many times on a daily basis do we come into a situation that we need his help on, but we don't declare that we need his help on? How often do we try to solve it on our own and ignore him? That's a transgression. It's a betrayal of our trust in him to take care of us, whatever the situation might be. Another word is the word, actual word sin. It means to fail to love God and others by not treating them with the respect they deserve. Now, this one is significant because oftentimes when you and I are failing in sin, we don't even know it. In fact, we might even think we are succeeding. This word describes how we deceive ourselves and spin illusions to redefine our bad decisions as good ones. In the Old Testament, in Genesis chapter 4, there's a story of Cain and Abel. And we know that they, they became upset with one another, especially Cain with Abel, and he ended up killing Abel. But before this happened, there is something that is described in his life. Listen to what it says in Genesis 4, 6. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. He was angry. And if you and I have been angry with a situation, we attempt to spin it in our direction typically and make ourselves feel justified. And he says, sin, this deception in your mind is like an animal crouching at your door. How often do you and I run into a conversation that goes off and we spin it our way and the other person spins it their way. And we end up going like this. We get this, don't we? I mean, this is, this is relationship stuff that goes on in a regular basis. Or how often do you and I, or I'll just say me, how often do I say a crossword to my children or my wife? And I know in my conscience it probably was the wrong thing to say out of line. Yet all of a sudden my mind immediately is like, no, but they, they needed to hear that. They absolutely need to hear that from me. That's sin. When I spin it, and we do that a lot, don't we? This is stuff that, that's a part of our everyday life. Another word is the word iniquity. This means to bend or twist. This is a moral perversion. And we see this, I think, in the world in which we live, but we also see this in our own conscience, which says, I'm not going to, to accept this as being wrong. I'm just going to change the standard for right and wrong. Iniquity. Jeremiah chapter 14 says, though our iniquities testify against us. He, he prays, act, O Lord, for your name's sake. And this is one of those sins that as things begin to bend, truth and morality begin to bend, after a while you look and you can really see it. They testify against us. That's the word. The final word is deceit, and I think we understand what that means. It means to mislead with intent. It could be to protect ourselves from the consequences of a sin or transgression, and it could be to commit fraud or to take advantage of someone. 
In Genesis chapter 27, there's the story of Jacob and Esau. You might remember this. And Jacob and Esau were the twin brothers. And Esau, even though a twin, was a little bit older, and so he had the birthright. And he wanted, he was going to receive the blessing. And his, his dad said, I think it's time. Go out to the field, get the sacrifice to come back for the ceremony. Uh, Esau's mom and Jacob heard this. And they decided to go in so Jacob could receive it instead. His dad was blind and, and very close to death. And so he made, he made a, a sacrifice of his own. And he put the skins of animals on himself so it felt like Esau. And he deceived him to make something look different for one's advantage. And Micah speaks to this. He says, your rich men are full of violence. Your inhabitants speak lies. And their tongue is deceitful in their mouth. So think of these sins, transgression, which is a violation of trust, or sin, which means to fail to love God and others by not treating them with the respect they deserve, or iniquity, which means to bend or twist, or deceit, which is to cause something false to seem true. These are things that, that we're guilty of, aren't they? So what does this do to us? How does this affect us? Is it just we commit sin and nothing happens? We know that's not the case. And the psalmist describes it to us. In verses 3 and 4 of Psalm 32, he says, For when I kept silent, or when I, when I didn't confess, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Selah, the word selah means think about this. Consider this. When you and I commit sin against another person and certainly against God, it affects us, doesn't it? It causes us sometimes to lose sleep. It causes us to worry, to have anxiety. The psalmist had this happen to him, and it happens to us. He's describing how sin affected him with insomnia, fatigue, and overall exhaustion. Now, here's something I want to say. The world in which we live has plenty of workarounds for sin. You know what workaround is? You don't fix it the right way, but you fix it so it works for a little while. Now, the world around us has a workaround, like covering it up, pretending it's not even there, convincing ourselves it's not wrong. Redefining it, trying to redefine standards of morality that God has given to us from the very beginning. Sometimes we try to just dilute it and be like, everyone else is doing it. Why is that such a big deal? That's a workaround. But if you have a home and you do home improvement projects and you do a workaround, it comes back to bite you. And this is the world we live in. So what does this mean? What, what, what should I do? And this is the beauty of our faith because we've been given forgiveness of sins, past, present, and future. That means all of our sins are not counted against us. And that's what I want to talk about next. And then I'm going to talk about how these sins affect us and each other on a daily basis and the need for confession in our lives for our conscience's sake. So... Um, Let's move. Let's go. 
Skipped an illustration. Sorry, guys. All right. Let me read you this by Dietrich Bonhoeffer in Life Together. He says, you, this is really, really good. I'm not going to skip this one. He says, you are a sinner, a great, desperate sinner. Now come, as the sinner that you are, to God who loves you. He wants you as you are. He does not want anything from you. A sacrifice, a work, he wants you alone. You can hide nothing from God. The mask you wear before men will do you no good before him. He wants to see you as you are, and he wants to be gracious to you. You remember in the garden when Adam and Eve sinned? Who hid from who? They hid from God. God was like, where are you? I love you. And if you're here today and you're overwhelmed with sin, your conscience is, 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 is busting you up, God loves you. That's why Jesus came, to die for you and I. So let's talk about that a little bit. We must confess our sins. Don't, don't cover them up. That's not going to get us anywhere. That's a workaround. But our confession, listen to this, reminds us our uncovered sin that we admitted to has been covered. This topic can be confusing. As we participate in communion, we will in a little bit every Sunday, we proclaim the sacrifice of Jesus is sufficient to cover our sins, past, present, and future. And you might have asked like me, like if I'm a Christian who's been justified through faith, and God has already forgiven my sins, why do I need to keep confessing? Why does 1 John say, and he's written to, to Christians, why does it say confess? Well, let's talk about the fact that our sins have been forgiven. Colossians chapter 2 says, he's speaking to Christians. He says, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. This verse is amazing. I love the truth that it gives to us that God has taken care of our sin. And Paul makes the point that the, the, at the death of Jesus, our sins were nailed to the cross. They were the debt we owed him for our sins to a righteous and holy God. That debt was canceled. That's why we celebrate. That's why we come to remember that every Sunday. Our sin has been covered, not by us and what we could do or have done, but by Jesus. There's three thoughts I want us to see in this salvation that we have. The first one is that Jesus has set us free from the reign of sin. That power and that rule of sin in our lives. When we are born with a sin nature, we are not able not to sin on our own. We are enslaved to it. Romans 6 says, We know our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So we would no longer be enslaved to sin. This is an incredible blessing that is true now and forever. That's been taken care of. The second thing I want us to see is that he set us free from the shame of sin. Now, this is a big word. Guilt is a gift. When our conscience speaks up by the power of the Holy Spirit, it says, Troy, you should not have said that. 
to your wife and kids or whoever. You, that, that's guilt. Now, shame is something from the adversary, from the evil one, that would come in and say, Troy, you always do that. You will never get better. That voice of shame is not truth. And listen to Romans 8.1. This is an amazing verse. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 10 says, for the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Now, is this based on what we've done? No, we don't want, none of us would be, would be comfortable with somebody seeing every thought we've ever had or every action we've ever done. But all of that has been covered by Jesus and there is no condemnation. That's what he's done for us. And he sets us free from the penalty of sin. Romans chapter 6, he says, For the wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus did this for us. This is nothing we could do on our own. It's not of our works. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from our sins past, present, and future. Jesus has changed our future from death and wrath to life and love. That is amazing. So as we think of this, I think we can all agree, we sin daily, multiple times throughout the day. And if you're married, just ask your spouse or, or whoever else is close to you, because this is true. So what do we do with this? Well, the world in which we live has workarounds. And it's just like, no, that's not it. And we rationalize it away. Christianity says, nope. We have, to re we have to accept the fact that we are sinners. Never could we ever come close to comparing ourselves to the righteousness of God. And Jesus has covered our sin past, present, and future. So why do we need to confess? Why is this a part of spiritual wellness? Well, at the risk of overestimating my household contribution, I'm going to tell you guys, I don't mind doing the dishes. And my wife is in here, so she's a little witness to this. I don't mind it. And I actually think I might be one of the best loaders of the dishwasher. Now, <laughs> I, I just have a skill set at this. So imagine with me for a moment, if we were to, now that's pretty much all I do. Anyway, I mean, she does like way, way more. So just, I'm, yeah, there we go. Okay, there we go. I was like, okay, I, I, am I digging a hole? What is happening to me here? Okay, so, okay. I did warn her. Actually, last, true story. Okay, we have this time. True story. Last night before I went to bed, I was like, I'm going to load the dishwasher because I'm using it in my serving tomorrow. So here we go. All truth there. <laughs> but it's not the only time. And I am pretty good at it. She can attest to that. Okay. Here we go. Imagine we had spaghetti. So this could get a little gross for a little bit. Imagine we had spaghetti. It's amazing. She's an incredible cook. We eat this stuff up. We usually have a pot for the, the noodles and a different pot for the sauce that simmers with meat and sausage. It's, oh, it's amazing. So imagine we empty that thing out and just leave it there. And then we go to bed and we leave it there. And we give it another day or two. And then I'm like, you know what? I'm going to make some chicken noodle soup. Let's just use that one that I had the spaghetti in. That's pretty gross, right? And, and I think, in a sense, when we don't confess our sins in our lives, it really affects us. 
in our walk with God, in our perspective of who he is. And it can get pretty gross. So let's talk about what it means to confess our sins as we wrap this up today. Turning the page. Our confession cleanses our conscience and restores the joy of our salvation. This is what confession does. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The word confession itself means to say the same. So the thing that's the, the guilt that my conscience is bringing up, instead of ignoring it, I admit to it and I say the same before God and others at times. When we confess, we recognize the negative effects of sin and at the same time, our dependence on God. I love what Dustin Crow said. He said, confession wipes away the relational junk between us and God. It restores us by eliminating what gets in the way, shame, guilt, and fear. We don't often emphasize confession, but when we realize how sinful we are, we grasp what a necessity confession must be. When we confess, we pray, we grieve our sin and the separation that it has caused between us and God. And as you confess your sin, as I share some of this with you, work to be specific as specific as God gives you the grace to be. So I have five types of confession as we wrap up. The first one is reflective confession. This is the need for us to examine and acknowledge sin to ourselves. This is hard. It's hard to even admit to ourselves when we've sinned sometimes. And this is really important and should be done in the quietness of our own mind to examine ourselves. First Corinthians chapter 11, we're told, let a man examine himself and then participate in the cup. Thomas Watson put it this way. I know he looks like the life of the party, but he's a really good writer. When a man has judged himself, Satan is put out of office. When Satan lays anything to a saint's charge, he is able to retort and say, it is true, Satan. I am guilty of these sins, but I have judged myself already for them. And having condemned myself in the lower court of conscience, God will acquit me in the upper court of heaven. I love that. Jerry Bridges writes, we should never be afraid to examine ourselves. But when doubts do arise, the solution is not to try harder to prove ourselves that we are believers. The solution is to flee to the cross and to the righteousness of Christ, which is our only hope. And then having looked to Christ alone for justification, we can look to his spirit to enable us to deal with those areas of our lives that cause doubt. We should reflect in our confession. We should take time to do it. We should be consistent in this. This is one of the reasons we take time on a Sunday morning for confession. We should be brutally honest. God defines the sin. We acknowledge our failure in humility and the grace of God. The second one is vertical confession. As we examine ourselves, we should confess our sins to God. The psalmist said in Psalm 32, after he listed those sins and said, this is how I felt, he said, I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin, Selah. 
Now, you and I might have a hard time with this because it's like, oh, I don't want to tell God what I've done. But the truth is he knows. He knows every thought we've ever had and everything we've ever, he knows that. And by the way, he still loves us. And there's nothing we could think or say or do to make him love us less because it's not based on our performance. It's based on his love. Vertical confession. The third confession that I think is important to practice is what I call pinpoint, not pincushion, but pinpoint confession. This is confessing a specific offense to a specific person. This is important sometimes in relationships. In Matthew chapter 5, we're told, if you're offering your gift at the altar and remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. This is important. When we know we've sinned, if I know I've said a cross word at, at my wife or kids, I need to go to them and be specific about what I said and be specific about my request for forgiveness. That confession is really important. It's in the app, but several authors have used seven A's of a confession. And a good confession isn't like, I'm really sorry you were hurt because you just are weak. Uh, that's not a good one, okay? <laughs> Get over it. And I'm really sorry I made you in pain. No, that's not it. And, and a good confession is going to be, we're going to address everyone involved um, and only them. So a confession doesn't mean I confess to you and then tell everyone else, well, I was right. It means we avoid if, but, and maybe. It can't be in the confession. It means we admit specifically what we did. And we apologize. Uh, we express sorrow. Like, I, I'm, I'm really sorry that I did this to you and I did this to God. And we ask forgiveness. We accept the consequences. It, it is what it is. If I did it, I, I deserve it. We, we make restitution. And we alter our behavior. That could be helpful for you in pinpoint confession. Last two, mutual confession. I think this is an important one. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer talks a lot about this. If you're interested in it, it's kind of like an idea of accountability and having individuals that you can be accountable to and share uh, confession with. It's confession with the close friends. It comes from James chapter 5 and verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Dietrich Bonhoeffer put it this way. A man who confesses his sins in the presence of a brother knows that he is no longer alone with himself. He experiences the presence of God and the reality of the other person. As long as I am by myself in the confession of my sins, everything remains in the clear. But in the presence of a brother, the sin has to be brought to the light. It's really important. It's really important to have grace for each other in the situation too. This is not a judgmental thing and it's not a hierarchical thing. This is a mutual confession time. And then finally, and I think this is why connect groups are important, so that we can build deeper community and there might be individuals we meet in our connect groups that we're able to trust in this type of a relationship. And the final is corporate confession. This is sometimes what happens on a Sunday morning. This is why it's part of our worship service. So there's humility and unity as a family. Galatians says, bear one another's burdens. And this doesn't mean that on a Sunday morning we're like telling everybody like our deepest, darkest secrets. But you know, as we confess, we know everyone around us is doing the same thing. And we need that. And we need to acknowledge that. And so this is an important part of our, our church service that we do corporate confession. So... We must confess our sins and never cover them. 
Uh, don't take the workaround of the world around us that says, oh, it's, it's fine, it's not wrong. No, admit it, own it. But receive the grace from a loving, eternal creator, God, that he's given to us in the cross. And then as we live out our lives, be a regular at confessing in the morning, in the afternoons, in the evenings. Whenever, whenever God brings it to mind, take the pause and confess our sins. I have three quick questions before Mike comes to, to wrap us up this morning. I hope that confession becomes a big part of our individual life and as a result helps us to grow spiritually. The first question is, have you been covering your sins? You might be here this morning, you might be thinking, oh man, I can't even admit this to myself. Let's start there. Let's start admitting that to ourselves. And let's bring it to God. And if necessary, and you have to, to, to talk with somebody else about it, we would, we would help you with that. Um, but God will give you the grace a step at a time. But don't cover your sins. You'll waste away, as the psalmist said. What would it take for you to confess your sins? Think about that. How much trust would you have to have in another person to maybe share some of the struggles that you have? Think about that. And then how can you implement confession into your spiritual wellness? As we consider our church and who God has given us as a family, which we are, imagine if every single one of us were to step forward in this area of confession, to be more honest with ourselves, to be more vulnerable with God and to our brothers and sisters. Imagine the growth that he would give to us as individuals and as a church. And imagine this great message we have for those who don't know anything about Jesus to say, hey, you don't have to change the definition of sin. You can admit it and you can receive grace and love and hope. So Father, as we are here today, we're so grateful that you've given us forgiveness of sins, that you've, that you've done it not based on us at all, but based on Jesus and his completed work on the cross. As we consider this, I pray that you would prepare our hearts for communion in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, New Life, welcome back to another week of our sermon. We're super excited you guys are listening with us on this podcast. And so if you don't know, New Life's mission is to develop an authentic community that inspires people to know and follow Jesus through worship, community, mission, and generosity. And so you can stay up to date with what we have going on on, on Instagram and Facebook. You can also find our YouTube channel you can like and subscribe to stay up to date with videos and those things we put out online. And so this week, here is the most recent sermon.